honor your name. We love your presence. We seek your glory. So come, Holy Spirit, and minister your word to your people as children look to their parents to be fed from their hands. Lord, Father God, we look to you as your children to be fed, nourished, strengthened, challenged, disciplined, sharpened, and filled with joy as we receive your word from your hand. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. You may be seated. It's good to have Father Dave celebrating today. Um, The plan is that sometimes if I'm over at the early service, uh, I could still preach here, but he can celebrate that way. If I'm running behind a little bit, he can start the service and so forth. So you'll sometimes kind of see us switching in and out of roles there. How is everyone today? Good. Jesus is good, isn't he? And Jesus is always looking to uh, bless and give to his people. He's always looking to give more of himself, more of the anointing of his spirit, more of every heavenly blessing. But sometimes the way that he gets us there into the posture to receive it is by challenging preconceived notions, challenging our comfort, uh, challenging who we think he is and what he should be doing. And that's what we're going to see today in the gospel reading. So I want to look at Luke chapter four today. I want to talk about moving through rejection, moving through rejection, not dealing with rejection or coping with rejection, but moving through rejection. Because if you are living a truly Christian life, you will at some point come up against rejection. Now, this uh, sermon is kind of a continuation of last week when we talked about know your anointing, that you share in that anointing that Jesus has, and the gospel passage just continues. And so we're going to keep flowing with Luke chapter 4. Now, I read this week that uh, Teddy Roosevelt, some years after his presidency, there was an assassination attempt on his life in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, instead of uh, going right to the hospital, he insisted on delivering a one-hour speech with a broken rib and a bullet in his chest before they let him take him to the hospital and ambulance. Can you believe that? That is, but that is moving through rejection. That is, if a bullet from an assassin is not a sign of rejection, I don't know what is, but Teddy Roosevelt just kept going and said, I'm going to deliver this speech to the people because the people need to hear what I have to say today. And Jesus had that same resolve to continue in the face of opposition and rejection for all three years of his public ministry. He was bombarded and assaulted with rejection. And I want to talk about it because if you're passionate about anything that doesn't resonate with people around you, primarily your Christian faith in our culture today, you'll come up against rejection. And I want us to know how to deal with it. I think it's so important because I'm convinced that a rejection from others has been the tragic downfall of many would-be would be world changing leaders and scientists and evangelists and prophets and missionaries and builders and architects and all that. Because rejection is an extremely profoundly powerful emotional and spiritual and mental force that can break you down if you don't know how to deal with it. And we, we live in a culture that kind of just, uh, victim culture, right? Like, if you experience any hardship, uh, you, you poor thing, let's cater to you and make sure you feel better and your feelings aren't hurt. That is not helping people. 
It's actually hindering them from transformation and from personal growth. And I think we see a different model when we look at Jesus through the eyes of what does it look like to be a leader, to be a strong, motivated person. When we look at Jesus, I think we see a different kind of picture for how he deals with these kind of situations. All right. So let's jump right into this uh, passage here today. And I just want to say that um, I want to speak this. I want to preach this to you because I don't want any of us to be would be leaders or prophets or evangelists or something great for the kingdom. But because of some rejection or something someone said or or somebody did to us that we just kind of backed down out of our calling. I want us all to to heed the calling of the gospel on our lives in whatever way that's manifest and whatever gifts God has given us. So I'm, I'm excited to share this with you. I want to build you up. I want to challenge us today. And I want to uh, just kind of reflect on these verses in Luke chapter four. OK, verse 22. Now, Jesus, remember last week he stood up, read the scroll of Isaiah the spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to preach good news. He's uh, I'm going to set captives free and open blind eyes and all of that stuff. And then he says, today, this reading is fulfilled in your hearing. And at this point, there's an initial uh, curiosity, an initial fascination. We could say the eyes of people are locked on Jesus. They're kind of amazed at his anointing and his power to speak this. And so verse 22 says, all spoke well of him. And we're amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Gracious words, meaning words about setting captives free and prisoners free and, and opening blind eyes. These are words of grace, God's blessing and his grace. They were, they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lip. And they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Now, some people think this is where they start to kind of t- turn to scorn. Like, oh, who does he think he is? He's just Joseph's son. But that's actually inaccurate. This is actually a positive thing that they're saying. Because what they're saying is that he, we're here in Nazareth and Joseph. Joseph is one of us, the carpenter, and this is Joseph's son, and he's got grace flowing from his lips, which must mean that the blessing is for us. Oh, awesome. This guy is here to bless us, and we're just going to keep him in our safe, comfortable little box here because we're the Israelites. We're God's people, and we deserve to be blessed, and God is in the business of blessing, and that's his job. And so, yes, we love these gracious words flowing from his lips. Now, we as readers know that Jesus is not primarily the son of Joseph. He's the son of God, and he has a higher mission than what people are taking stock of on the earth that are sitting around him in this synagogue. But Jesus is always, what he's trying to do is pull us up into his level of thinking, his level of understanding, to understand his identity and his mission, which always transcends what earthly minds want to do to box him in and think they've got him all figured out and they're going to get all blessed by him and and so on and so forth. And what Jesus does today is he challenges the people of Nazareth uh, to come up to his level and to see what the mission of God is all about. Now, you see, he challenges, Jesus does, but it's always out of love because when Jesus sees us trapped in our uh, closed-mindedness and our closed-heartedness and our rigidity and our religion and our we think it should be this way, he looks at us with love and he says, I can't leave them there. They'll never be able to receive the blessing and the anointing that I have for them. I can't leave you there. So I'm going to come and rescue you. And I'm going to speak words of challenge that draw you up out of that and bring you up to my level into glory. (laughs) He's so awesome. So here's what happens next. 
it's just like Jesus to notice that people are getting comfortable in, 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 in thinking, wow, this is great, man. He's going to pour out blessings on us. It's just like Jesus to notice that and think, I've, I've got to do something about that. No, no, no. Don't start boxing me in and thinking it's all about you. And so he totally disrupts their expectations by what he says next. How many of you know you cannot cage the Lion of Judah? You cannot, if you try to put Jesus on a shelf with other religious leaders and leaders of movements and cults from across time and, and spiritual gurus, if you try to put him on a shelf with them, he just won't stay there. You cannot box him in as this or that, or he should do this and he should act like this. And I like this teaching that he says, he will not stay in a cage. And so he says to them, surely you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Now, what in the world is that all about? This is actually a well-known maxim in the, uh, a well-known proverb in the ancient world that means something like, hey, uh, you're, you're one of us, so surely you're going to give us a little bit of the blessing that you've given to other people. Okay, then that is why he goes on to say, uh, you're going to say to me, hey, go and do some of those miraculous works that you did over in Capernaum, all that healing and that exorcism we heard about. Come on, let's see you do some of that here. Okay, their, their, their minds are in a place of wanting to control Jesus. Their expectations are uh, limited and narrow, and Jesus will have none of it. And, and Jesus doesn't care. When Jesus has a mission to follow, and people have a misunderstanding of it, and they won't get in alignment with it, Jesus doesn't back up and say, oh, I'm sorry, let me try to rephrase this, and, and, and I, don't, I don't mean to hurt your feelings or anything. Jesus did not act like that. He went like this, boom, I'm going forward to follow the will of my father. And let me tell you something to, to not to coddle you and let you stay where you are. Let me share something with you to challenge you to come up to my level and get in alignment with my mission because my heart is with the father. And you can get on board with me. You can get on the train or you can stay back at the train station. That's how Jesus dealt with rejection. Okay. So if you have a God given uh, authority in a certain realm of business, ministry, uh, law, whatever it is, and you've been given that authority legitimately and you have a vision and you have a mission to accomplish from the Lord or whoever, you have got to keep going. And when you come up up, up, up against rejection, you can't go, oh, man, I guess I just not called to this. Okay, because that's not what Jesus did. He kept going and he had his eyes on the cross the whole time. And he said, I'm going to get there and on the way I'm going to set captives free and heal the sick and cast out demons. I'm going to dethrone Satan and I'm going to go all the way to the cross and, until it's finished. And so he says this. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself here because I'm excited. This challenges me. He says, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Now, this, I think, is probably maybe where they really started to get like. Who do you think you are? Like he's literally identifying himself with the prophets. And he's functioning prophetically too. There's another passage, I think it's in John's gospel, where it said Jesus knew what was in the hearts of men. He knew in the spirit there was these thoughts, their thoughts were starting to turn. That their, his challenge to their closed-mindedness was actually going to start turning into a spirit of rejection against him and a spirit of anger against him. And so he does not try to just start beating around the bush and try to, try to, try to soften it or whatever. He actually pushes in even deeper. 
His word, the Bible says that the word of God is living and active. It cuts and divides. It lays us open and exposed before the one to whom we must give an account. And so Jesus, his words that he speaks are power. And he says, let me, let me remind you of a couple of stories, people of Israel, people of God. Let me remind you of a couple of stories from our scriptures. He says there was many widows in Israel at Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. And they think, oh, yeah, we remember that story. Yeah, this is about the widow. And Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Now, why in the heck does he tell this random story? Where are you going with this, Jesus? Okay, she's poor. She's a widow and she's a Gentile. Okay, so and God blessed her and sent a prophet to her when he could have sent that prophet to a million other widows who were within his people. He's not a God you can box in his own people wouldn't listen to the voice of the prophets. So the prophets were often sent to preach to other people and bless other people and bring healing to other people. So this would have this is where they start to get really uncomfortable and angry. They're like, "Mm." Yeah, I know that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in that deci- that occasion, I guess God decided to go bless weird people and in whatever. I know that story. So what's your point? And then Jesus tells them another one. He says, now, remember, Elisha, he's the uh, he is the uh, uh, successor to Elijah. And he says, remember the other story? Because there's a whole bunch of these in the Old Testament. This is what, he, what he's saying. Naaman, the Syrian. He's a Gentile. Oh, Gentile. He's a pagan, worships other gods. He's a military leader from another nation, a potential enemy. Double yuck. And God sent Elisha to him to heal him, to bring his blessing to him. Now, now there's a real shift. Now there is a real shift in the story because what Jesus is saying is that if God's power and God's anointing and God's calling and God's word are rejected among those who claim to be his people. He will find other people who are hungry for the feast that he has to offer them. This is a message for the church today. Because there's a there's two churches today. I heard someone say this recently and it resonated with me. There's two churches today. There's the kind of go along with it. Church, keep quiet. Don't sing. If the governor tells you not to sing and worship God, just go along with it. Don't worry about witnessing to Christ because people are offended by that. There's the church that goes along with it. That's the church of the world. But then there's the church of Jesus Christ. And there's the church that stands up in the face of adversity and refuses to retaliate, but says, I have a mission and I'm moving forward and I'm going to proclaim the gospel and I'm going to bring healing to the sick and sight to the blind and good news to the poor because the Lord's favor is working through me as I proclaim the gospel. And God will go to those people and bless them and anoint them and use them to carry out his mission. So every Christian believer is in the same danger that these folks were in of getting settled into a place where it's kind of like, I'm blessed, I got church, I got a nice place to worship, a nice place to live, God loves me, I got my nice little Bible studies with my friends, and I got my morning uh, devotions with the Lord, and so I'm good to go. And Jesus' blessing is just raining down on me. 
Okay, now I'm not saying anything bad about any of those things. I like all those. But if that causes you to become complacent and to think, oh, those people out there, those uh, Democrats or Republicans or atheists or whatever out there, it makes you like that towards them. God's curse must be on them because they're not obviously blessed. That's where we fall into danger. And we can, we, Jesus is always calling us outside of us. He's always calling me outside of me. Because our human hearts are so inclined to go like this. They turn in on ourselves. We become enamored with ourselves and our own comfort and our own well-being and our own blessing that we can often fail to, 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 to bring that blessing that God wants to bring to the people around us. To, re, to, to release that blessing through us to other people. This is the, the thing that Jesus is challenging in this passage. He's like ripping open a wound. I mean, they are in they respond and they are not happy now i want to tell you about something um this is just something that i've learned about and maybe you've heard of this before but i've studied in seminary i studied i went to some uh, conferences and stuff and started learning about something called systems theory or family systems theory if you've ever been involved with counseling you know what that is but it's just about how emotional systems and how human systems work and how organizations work and function essentially every organization functions as an interconnected family and when one person in the organization does something it has effects on everyone else right especially with with leadership okay so thinking about jesus and what family systems theory does is it talks about emotional health and how to lead in a healthy way and to stand with um, self-defined principles and goals and they call that self-differentiation and it comes it's a concept that comes from cell biology that not until so cells they, they they're undifferentiated in their initial phase i'm not a scientist but this is how i understand it but eventually so you've got a human body that's forming and you've got you a need for lung cells and arm cells and fat cells and whatever cells but they're initially an undifferentiated mass but then the cells begin to self-differentiate themselves out from the rest of the mass and they take on a particular function in the body that's the picture of self-differentiation. The cell stays connected to its system, but it becomes its own thing with its own defined goals and objectives. Okay? Are you tracking with me? Now apply that to humanity and to leadership and to look at what Jesus does. Jesus stays within Israel, connected to his people, but he, comes, he becomes unstuck from them. If you're going to be self-defined and self-differentiated, you have to get unstuck from the people around you who would hold you back and drag you down and say, you can't do this. Yeah, all the rejection. You have to become unstuck from it and to say, I love you. I want to stay connected to you, but I'm going this way because this is where I'm called to go. And Jesus was the most self-differentiated person to ever walk the earth. That's what one of the teachers of this stuff said to me. He said, he said Jesus was the most self-differentiated person to ever walk the earth because he wasn't emotionally reactive to people. He wasn't all worked up and just crushed when there was rejection or people were coming against him. He wasn't just like, oh, God, why did you call me to this? Oh, I can't believe this. I can't do this. <laughs> That's us. Right? That's me. Um, but Jesus stayed on track. Because he was self-differentiated, and to be that way, it means that you have a defined self. Now, I realize I'm kind of leaning over into the psychology realm, but it's pertinent to the gospel reading today. It means that you have a defined self, a capacity for clarity about your vision and your principles. But you also stay connected to the system of which you're a part. 
Okay, so that's a CEO making radical decisions and changes so that his organization doesn't die and that it moves into health in the long run. But in the initial phase of it, all of his employees start kicking and screaming, we don't do it that way, we don't do it that way, or whatever, right? But he's, he's got defined principles and vision, and he's going to follow it because he cares about the overall health of the organization. And Jesus cared about the overall health of God's people. And so when people came up to reject him and say, you can't do this, you can't say this, da-da-da-da-da, he said, no, I'm going to go this way because this is where the calling is, and I'm leading out here, and I want you to follow me, but I'm not going to force your hand at that, but I'm not going to react to you, and I'm not going to get stuck to you. And he kept moving. That's why he tells these stories, okay? He's telling them something about his mission. God wants to go out there. God wants to go everywhere to Gentiles and pagans and addicts and prostitutes and the people that you despise. And God wants to go out there. And you're too comfortable in your little blessed bubble. That's what he's trying to shake up. Rattles cages, but not just to make us mad so that we'll bust out of the cage. Now, why the fury? Did you ever read this and think, Why the heck are these people so mad? This is just Jesus. He's such a great guy. But I think that you and I would probably be offended too if we were there. He's such a great guy. Why the fury? It's like literally like an evil spirit possesses them and takes them over and is like, "Mm." (laughs) right? Their head like turns 360 degrees and all of a sudden their eyes are, are full of red fury and fire and they start coming after him. And systems theory says that any time that somebody becomes more self-defined and differentiated from the system, there will always be a backlash of reactivity. Who do they think they are doing this? Who do they think they are? They think they're so tough. They're just cold. They're just, they don't care about us. They're stubborn. They're just mean. They're too hard-hearted. They're probably saying all those things about Jesus. And if that's happening to you because you're moving deeper into your calling and you're getting kickback from your family and your co-workers, your people at church, whoever it is, if that's happening to you, that's a good sign you're becoming more self-defined. Okay. Now, it's true that you could just be being a jerk. <laughs> Don't do that. But it could just be that you're becoming more self-defined and you're staying on track with your goals. It's a leadership principle that is super important for people like us because as you become more defined in your faith and as God is sharpening each one of us and giving us more clarity on what we're called to do and how we're to live out the gospel, to living that supernatural life of power that he's called us to, to set captives free, to preach the truth, you're going to face increasing reactivity. You're gonna, and it sometimes will come in the form of like, oh, do you really, like, why, why do you think you have to do it like that? You know, it can be like, oh, you know, you're, you're, somebody from your family calls you and says, you know, that when you, were, when you were praying for everybody at the Thanksgiving dinner, can I, I just have some concerns about that. Could I talk to you? That just made some of us uncomfortable, right? So you can, you can, um, you, you can either go, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I shouldn't pray for people at Thanksgiving. You're right. I'll try to keep that quiet. I'll go in the bedroom and do it so that you're not offended, you poor thing. Um, or you can say, hey. I'm sorry that you were offended about that, but God called me to pray for those people and I watched him touch them as I was praying for them. I'd love to have you in on that next time. What are they, what's going to happen? The reactivity will increase. <laughs> I'm just going to 
go to the other side of the family next year. Okay? And this is what's happening with Jesus in his situation right here. He is standing as a self-defined human being. He's a part of the system of the people of God. He's not walking away from it and rejecting it, but he's calling people to get on board with his vision and his mission because if they don't, they're going to miss the blessing. And he loves them and he doesn't want to. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you as a, as a hen broods over her chicks and tries to gather them in, but you would not receive it. So they decide um, that they're going to get rid of them. Because any time a system or an organization, uh, whether it's a church, a synagogue, a business, a school, whatever it is, any time that that system comes up against challenge, it will move into a mode of self-preservation. And that self-preservation will be perpetuated by the weakest and most anxious people in that system who just don't want the change, who don't want to go through the pain of changing so that, so that things can get better in the long run. It's a universal principle. And so what do you do when somebody is doing something that you don't like that makes you uncomfortable? You, one option is to eliminate them. Okay? Probably lots of CEOs have been uh, fired or lots of you know, people in the business world have been fired because they were leading in a good, strong way, but there was so much <sighs> against them that somebody came in and said, you've got to go. Okay? So they decide they're going to eliminate the threat. They're going to drive him out okay? because the, our tendency in the human heart is to drive out anyone or anything, any idea or any person that makes us uncomfortable, challenges our ideologies and our customs. But Jesus was always, always challenging those things, always calling us up higher where the blessing is, where the glory of God is, always calling us up higher because he wanted to wake up people who are spiritually sleepy. And in and, and you, in your ministry, in your life, to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors, as, as God works on us and we become more awake and alive in him, other people around you who are, are sleepy will start wiping the crust from their eyes, who are people who are spiritually sleepy because they see you and they feel something in you and on you that is starting to wake something up in them. That's the spirit of God resting on you. But there will be others who's, who put up a hand of rejection to you and you've got to keep moving you've got to keep moving it says in verse 30 jesus walked right through the crowd and went on his way he refuses to be a peacemonger he refuses to just be somebody who, who who's gonna oh oh no i'm sorry okay i don't want you guys to be upset with me he moves forward in the power of the spirit and continues to do what he is called to do, which was to set captives free. He saw you and he saw me. And he said, those are captives that need to be set free. And it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He didn't let it stop him. Jesus went all the way to the ultimate rejection where it was like a brick wall the wooden wall of a cross standing right before him. And he said, I'm still going. I'm not turning down. I'm not renouncing my mission or who I am. And God raised him up. And he moved through the rejection of the cross. Because when you decidedly 
move forward in God's call on your life against every form of rejection, no matter how much toil, no matter how much stress, no matter how much anxiety, no matter how much energy it requires of you, no matter how much patience and perseverance it requires of you, God will vindicate you. He will raise you up. He will raise you up because you were obedient to him. I heard this question posed from another pastor the other day. And he said, are you living only for the applause of nail-scarred hands? Are you living only for the applause of nail-scarred hands? Wow. I love that. You have an audience of one. And his name is King Jesus. And he's rooting you on. And he's cheering you on. And when he sees you coming up against people who want to stifle your voice for the gospel, people who want to keep you from speaking the truth, people who want to keep you from being a strong minister and witness to Jesus, Jesus is cheering you on. And when you are obedient to him, he says, more, more. And he pours out more of his spirit on you so that you can keep going. You have the spiritual resources that you need to continue right until the end. He'll raise you up. He will raise you up. Amen. That's all I have to say. Let's pray. Lord, we live in a time when it's hard to do church. Many people have left the church. Many people have wandered back to the world for satisfaction, for identity. Many people who once were a part of the church are becoming turned against the church because of the influence of culture, the spirit of the age. But Lord, you have a righteous people. You have a remnant people and you always raise up a remnant people to walk in the anointing that you have for them, to walk in the blessing, to walk in your presence and to stand strong in the face of adversity. And Lord, we as a as a church are so blessed to have the freedoms that we do today. But we don't know, Lord, that we'll have those freedoms in three years or five years from now. And so I pray, God, that you would, in our midst, raise up a strong and mighty people whose eyes are fixed on you, Jesus, who will run the race with perseverance and not back down in the face of rejection, who will not be ashamed of you, Lord, or your word. And God, we, want, we need wisdom from you to be able to deliver the messages that you give us to people, that to deliver the gospel with such grace and truth that it convicts, that it cuts to the heart, that it's not reactive from our flesh, that it's not out of anger or opposition to people, but that it comes from a, a love that desires to see people made whole. You said in your word today, God, that we can have all kinds of prophetic powers and, and ministry success, but if it's without love, we're like a clanging cymbal in your ears. So, God, we need to be a people of love who want others to be made well, even when we have to, to, to do difficult things and to move forward and to call them to come up to a higher level where you want to bless them and bring them into that deeper maturity of life in you, Jesus. So make us yielded to that, Lord. Give us love in our hearts and give us uh, power and resolve to always do your will, God, for there is no safer place in this dangerous world than in the center of your will, God. 
Jesus' name. Amen.